Hey, it's Rob from Waypoint. Uh, quick content warning up front here. If you haven't already heard, there's been a wave of sexual misconduct stories in the games industry of late. We're going to be talking about that to lead off today's Waypoint Radio. So let this serve as a content warning for discussions of sexual violence and harassment and other forms of workplace abuse. Uh, in a second, you'll hear Kato give you a timestamp if you want to skip ahead of all that. Uh, then after pause, we'll start the show as normal. Hey there, everyone. Uh, so the timestamp for the end of the discussion uh, around sexual assault and sexual harassment is at 27 minutes in. Should be safe enough, uh, give and take a few minutes for uh, ads and whatnot. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Happy Labor Day weekend, Internet. It is Friday, August 30th, 2019, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 260. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, filling in for Austin Walker, who I'm sure feels like he picked a hell of a time to go on vacation. <laughs> so joining me this Friday, we've got Patrick Klopik. Hello. Danielle Riendo. Hi, hello. We've got Kata watching the signals. Hi. <laughs> And we also welcome board, welcome aboard Motherboard's Lauren Cowrie-Gerling. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Uh, so Lauren's here in part because this week there were some serious allegations of sexual misconduct leveled against a number of notable men in the games industry. Lauren wrote a news story when the first allegations came out. Patrick, I know you're doing some ongoing reporting, but to lead off here... Um, how did this latest Me Too moment in games begin, and where has it gone since Lauren's initial story? Uh, yeah, it uh, opened with a uh, essay that was written um, by uh, uh, Natalie Lawhead, in which she uh, wrote a, a piece called "Calling Out My Rapist," um, in which she accused um, composer Jeremy Soule, who is most well known for working on the Elder Scrolls series, of uh, sexual assault, um, and lays out a very lengthy piece um, describing. Um, even beyond just the allegations of sexual assault, the, um, you know, just sort of like workplace mistreatment, the difficulty she had in a, in a really toxic environment. Um, from there, that snowballed into a, a number of uh, allegations uh, made uh, against uh, a number of people. I'll actually just read from uh, her piece she wrote because I think it summarizes it uh, uh, pretty succinctly. Uh, on a single day this week, three prominent men in the video game development industry were independently accused of sexual assault. Uh, on Monday, Law had an independent video game designer from California published a 6,800-word blog post. Law had alleged uh, they were raped by Jeremy Soule, an acclaimed composer uh, known for uh, his work on the Elder Scrolls and Guild Wars series. Hours later, in a lengthy post on Twitter, uh, indie developer Zoe Quinn accused Night in the Woods developer Alex uh, Holoka of sexual abuse and imprisoning Quinn in Holoka's home in Winnipeg. Uh, a third accusation came from a woman named uh, Ad- 
Adelaide Gardner uh, against uh, Luke Shelton of Splash Damage, who worked on Gears of War 4. Uh, Gardner told Motherboard that Shelton ac- uh, assaulted her in 2018. Um, I highly recommend reading the piece to understand the individual dynamics that uh, went into each of those accusations. The, uh, the fallout from then since then has been uh, with these uh, accusations specifically, you know, sort of additional corroboration, um, if not necessarily related to the individual incidents that were laid out here, um, but uh, other incidents in which uh, people experienced uh, varying levels of discomfort um, that seemed to uh, corroborate the uh, the sense that these, these accusations, uh, which not only on their face are credible because of uh, the victims coming forward to um, speak about them, but that uh, sort of back up in a larger uh, sense um, what it was like to to be around uh, these people. And um, as has often been the case, uh, especially uh, sort of post Me Too, um, the moment um, there are a couple, um, it often emboldens others to come forward with um, a number of uh, other allegations people feel uh, empowered to sort of start speaking their truths. And um, a lot of those, which we will... Uh, partially not have time to go into because of time constraints, but also because I'm in the middle of a lot of ongoing reporting, um, looking into those various allegations. But um, that is sort of where we stand now because this is an extremely fluid story in which I suspect what we put down onto this podcast now may feel very different in just a couple of days because with movements like this, it is hard to tell you know, where it's going to go next and and what might be the story that that breaks next because you end up hearing a lot of things uh, like people alluding to more stories going to come out and you just don't know what exactly is going to uh, sort of come around the bend. Um, now, Lauren, I know you come from a background of looking at both labor and sexual harassment in the workplace uh, and increasingly now in I assume, the intersection of labor and, and tech. Um, I'm curious what you sort of gleaned as you started getting into the story and what parts of this look maybe different or unique to the games industry if if at all like does do do the features of stories like this change at all depending on what the exact type of work or industry you're talking about is yeah so i've reported a lot on this in sort of low-wage blue-collar industries like service industry meatpacking industry um agriculture and it seems like a lot of times I mean, there are statistics on this, but like most often harassment and assault occur at the highest rates in industries that are male dominated. So, for example, in engineering and construction and meatpacking, the rates of these sorts of things are way higher. And I think that might be a reason why this is such a problem in the games industry, though it's interesting that, I mean, so many industries have had this Me Too moment like starting like two years ago, that this is only happening now. Um, I talked to, I spoke to one of the women, uh, Adelaide Gardner, who um, accused Luke Shelton of assaulting her in his house in London in 2018. And she was sort of saying that she's been waiting for forever to come forward with this story. In fact, she posted about it back during the Kavanaugh hearings last year, and she only got 14 likes on her Twitter. This time she posted it, she got, you know, thousands of likes in a matter of hours. Um, And so something is different right now uh, for the games industry. 
Um, I also think it's important to note that Riot Games announced that they were settling a sexual uh, sex discrimination lawsuit um, late last week. Um, and so that I don't know if that prompted Natalie Lawhead to post her piece, but it may very well have. Yeah, I think certainly part of this is, and maybe this is a feature of it as well, a lot of abuse like this is um, directed at people who have less power, and less power often means lower profile, and it's also possible that something that is changing is just uh, some of these people who are harassed and targeted this way and preyed upon are no longer newcomers to an industry. They are no longer uh, outsiders in an industry. And so now, as these stories are being told, and certainly I think this is obviously the case with uh, Zoe Quinn telling their story, um, Zoe Quinn is such a notable figure at this point. And can, like stories about them have a degree of credibility but also notoriety that make these stories not whispers, I think, as they've been in the past, but more uh, words shouted through a bullhorn a little bit. And that is maybe uh, maybe a facet that's driving this. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think it's much harder to come forward if you don't have power um, because no one will listen to you, no one will believe you. And um, there's obviously the huge risk of retaliation um, that both Zoe Quinn and Natalie Law had faced. It seems like both of them had serious damage done to their careers. This wasn't just about sex. This is really about power. Um, and so um, I think in the case of uh, Lawhead, um, they lost they, – they didn't receive pay for – a project that that they worked on for two years, um, like a few paychecks, not paying entirely, but and then they also just didn't re receive any recognition, um, I believe, in the credits for a game that they had worked on. Um, in the case of Quinn, they were uh, banned from a gaming community that Halauka uh, ran after they broke up with him. Um, yeah, I think that's another notable feature of these stories is that in addition to the harassment and abuse that is direct, uh, there is also the gaslighting element that is such a common part of the story. And it's striking how often that seems to be as much a driver of anger and frustration as the initial allegations themselves. It's not just that uh, this mistreatment happens, but also that then there is a sort of uh, psychological warfare element that then uh, occurs subsequently. And that is one of the further upsetting elements of this. And I think it's also one that causes these stories to ripple out wider, right? Because that second part, when people are not listen listened to, when their story is not getting out, that doesn't just happen because an abuser is choosing to dismiss and denigrate and ignore. That is something that requires to a degree complicity or avoidance or politeness to the point of negligence uh, by colleagues, peers, uh, people who let this stuff slide for a variety of reasons. Right. Lauren, I'm curious if uh, you've seen this in your other reporting, but um, you know, one of the initial fears that 
is often talked about when someone comes forward with allegations like this is the legal consequences, um, not so much that they are lying as much as it's, it's not very difficult for someone with money and power to drag someone into a lawsuit that could itself be an exercise of power as a, as a way of affording uh, – sort of avoiding being – you know what they would view as being uh, – Defamed, and so um, there is one of these uh, one of the allegations that has broke uh, since then. You know, the 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 accused um, has actually been saying they have taken up legal counsel. They uh, at least told me they filed something with uh, the police that I have not necessarily been able to verify. But I'm I'm curious how much of that element you've seen play out in any of the reporting you've done. If that sort of like fear of legal reprisal and the ability for larger groups to speak up as one maybe pushes back, you know, the potential consequences of something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you you run a huge risk. And not only that, if you're going to make allegations um, and or if you're raped or assaulted or harassed, um, you, you know, there, there's probably a chance that you would want to sue the person or pursue a legal route with that. And I think it's also super challenging if you are not in the position of power to go that route because of the way that the legal system is set up, the way that the things that it requires to, for example, file a lot like a sexual harassment lawsuit with like the EEOC, you have to go through months of like trying to them investigating your case to see whether you have reasonable cause. And then once you have reasonable cause, like the case can be dismissed again for a number of other reasons. So I think that is like a huge problem that keeps people from um, coming forward or bringing, you know, filing lawsuits or stuff like that. Um, I also think that, uh, yeah, it's a huge, it's really scary to accuse some someone of something publicly because it, it can be seen as defamatory and the way that you write things has to be very careful. Um, like, I'm not sure if either of uh, the people who accused these two men um, had like, you know, any anyone looking through what they wrote, but um I wouldn't be surprised if they did because it's it's complicated. I think to make, to post something publicly like that. Um. Very <laughs> certainly. Um, so I want to I want to talk a tiny bit uh, about the gaslighting aspect of this because I think it also connects to being afraid to call this out and the reason why you know that's one of the arguments you see sometimes of like oh why is this only coming out now from other factors or other parties and some of it is that. You know, speaking from experience, even the gaslighting effect of it makes you feel like, oh, maybe this wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, there's like a really huge uh, sort of swath here of what harassment can be, what sexual assault can be, what these things can be that is up to and including rape. But if somebody is assaulted, but it, you know, they felt like, well, you know, uh, maybe I'm crazy for thinking this was so bad. Maybe some of this is my fault. That gaslighting completely makes you feel uh I'll use the term here. We already had a content warning, but it, it, it makes you feel crazy. You actually feel like you're crazy for thinking, you know, uh, I, not sure what happened or you gaslight yourself even further. So there is so much damage that's done on that psychological level. Rob, you used the term psychological warfare that is completely done uh, to a survivor in these circumstances that sometimes makes coming out at all so complicated and hard and a reason why we, I, I think all of us here applaud when people do come out uh, and, and speak to their stories. It's extremely tough sometimes. 
Yeah, I think we saw um, some of these dynamics in place with another allegation that came up yesterday. Uh, I bring it up here in part because um, I've referred a lot on this podcast and others to Alexis Kennedy, uh, for instance, who's formerly a fail better, um, has about, had, was one of the creators of Fallen London, and uh, more recently uh, called a simulator. And one of the things that we saw unfold yesterday uh, is that Alexis Kennedy was uh, first called out by some uh, notable women in the uh, narrative design community, uh, and uh, especially uh, Meg Gianth, who has a very good reputation uh, as a great writer and a great consultant. Uh, she called him out for misconduct during his time at Fail Better. And then um, one of his ex-partners, uh, Olivia Wood, uh, came on came out on Twitter and said that she had been in a relationship with uh, an inappropriate relationship with an inappropriate power dynamic when she worked under him at uh, worked under him at Fail Better. And one of the things that we immediately saw happen uh, there was Kennedy replied to uh, Meg Gianth on Twitter. Uh, basically saying that the report was false and defamatory and that he would be filing a complaint with police and he was uh, consulting with lawyers. And I think here this is, I don't want to make this just about Alexis Kennedy. I think that was just a very like clear and explicit um, demonstration of how swiftly lawyers come up in stories like this, how, uh, how quickly and easily people can can feel like perpetrators or, or potential abusers feel like they do have recourse to the law, whereas uh, survivors, people uh, making these allegations, are the ones who very much are the most at risk in this. And I think this is this is a structural issue, uh, and. Not it is not entirely an accidental feature of our legal uh, system or our, or our libel laws. Yeah, I think I think that's all true. Um, I think it's going to be, uh, as I mentioned at the top when we were sort of summarizing where we're at. Um, you know, like would it shock me if this went quiet and then flared up again, as this often does? Would it shock me over the weekend if there was a whole slew of other? you know, accusations running from the high profile to, to the indie space. Um, that wouldn't shock me either. Um, but you know, I think part of what's always like the catharsis that comes for so many people during this moments is, uh, so fascinating to watch because you have so many of these folks that, um, may not even be prepared to do the identifying, the calling out, um, uh, you know, as, 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 important as that work is for the people that have found the strength and bravery to do that. Um, in my talking with, you know, and this is not just this story, but plenty of stories over the years, um, you know, it's easy to put out on social media after you've said something, you're getting all this quote unquote support, but that also is attention. That is also a spotlight. And even if people have uh, positive uh, uh, intentions and uh, and want to quote unquote champion you and like, thank you for what you're doing. Like that's, it's a really scary thing to put yourself out there. Even if you're speaking truth, even if uh, what you're saying is absolutely what happened. And it seems from the outside that, wow, you said something powerful. You're seizing this moment. 
you're you know uh, calling truth to power and a lot of people are quote unquote supporting you around you you're also suddenly have the world's attention in a way that that you know i think that is a, a common misconception that uh oh um m- mustn't the attention be great and and for for all of these people um that has consistently been god i wish i could just turn off the light and go somewhere else and just move on with my life and i'm glad i did this but this isn't what I want to be known for. Um, most of these people are designers or writers, you know, creative folks of all strides. And, um, you know, they want to be known for the work they do, not that they were the victim of something. Yeah. One of yeah. the women I spoke to is just seemed so overwhelmed by, even as I was talking to her on the phone, she's like, my phone just won't stop blowing up. Like, yeah. she was just like, I don't, it was a mix of like so many different emotions at once. It felt like, um, validation and fear yeah it's like a lot of people have like um often like very small twitter accounts and so like all of us you know are used to lots of interactions on twitter so you'd like turn off notifications (laughs) for like every mention that you get but for a lot of people like when this stuff happens like they are only followed by like you know a couple dozen people so like every mention is like oh cool like one of my friends is texting me it's just happening on twitter and then all of a sudden this happens and like your phone is just like <laughs> overheating because you suddenly have to turn off the notifications because you have this strange mixture of an outreach of support people that are trolling you people that are trying to get a rise of you and it's just it's it's overwhelming um and i, I can't imagine what it's like to go through that danielle do you have something or just honestly agreeing. And, uh, you know, every time this comes up, everybody who is a survivor, even, and I'll be clear, like I'm a survivor of assault, but, but not on a extreme level. Um, so I don't want to take away from anybody else's attention, but every time it comes up, you, you start thinking about things that happened to yourself in the past or things that happened to your friends or, or lovers or, or partners in the past. And I, I just feel like, as much as Twitter has been blowing up, secret Twitter sure has been a place lately too, where people are are adding details or telling stories or or just trying to figure out how to be publicly, like how to conduct themselves in public right now in terms of like what do we do with this? Like we all have these memories, we all have these fears, we all have these experiences, and like what do we do with this? What is the best way forward? There is no playbook for us, right? The way there's a playbook for, uh, you know, a a powerful person who has access to legal resources and such. I'm not saying I don't have access to legal resources, but like in terms of the, the royal we of people who who are kind of dealing with this stuff, it's like, (laughs) there's no playbook. There's no like really great advice to take from somebody, uh, authoritatively. There's no like great, like, here you go. Uh, here are the three things that you should do now to keep yourself safe and healthy and and get on with things. It's it's just such a mess. It's such a mess. And the blame is squarely upon those who perpetrate this and obviously keep those systems running the way they've been running. Um, but it is, yeah, I, I haven't been sleeping lately. I will say that. I haven't slept in a couple of days, uh, partially from a lot of this stuff. Um, so, all right, honestly, it's it's a mess, and I applaud everybody who comes forward. I applaud everybody who does speak their truth, and I want to offer you know any comfort I possibly can as a stranger on the internet with a podcast uh, who can say things like that. I do want to, uh, Daniel, offer one small pushback, and that like I understand your caveat there over like your comparisons with who you've gone through, but like that's bullshit. Like throw it <laughs> out the window. I hear this when I talk to 
I know it's a thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. Is yeah. and it's understandable. But I just wanted to make sure we made note of it because I, I know totally. the reason you said it came from like like a good place. But that like everyone's abuse is different. All of it's everyone's bad. trauma is different. All 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 yes. how it affects people is is a, is a scale. So I understand why you said that because obviously like people go through things that seem worse than you, but like how they affect all of us is totally different than like the actual actions that occur. So I just wanted to make it note that like for you, for other people, like it's, it's not a contest and it, it can feel that way where it's like, well, my thing wasn't as bad as, as that thing. So I guess I shouldn't share it. And I think one of the things that we're seeing out of the, the, this particular moment in time is some of the allegations that have come out have not always been sexual in nature. There've been some allegations that are like purely about sort of abuse of, of power in terms of power dynamics that don't have anything to do with sex, but that is still and can be abuse and harassment of a different sense. And that, that is still important, vital, and should be, should be discussed. So just, wanted, just wanted to make note of that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People should absolutely feel entitled to the feelings that they're experiencing and not guilty or for, or performative for, for having them. I, I definitely agree there. Uh, I think we will leave it there. Uh, obviously this is an ongoing story. We'll be revisiting it. Again, I am sure, uh, unhappy though it is. Um, Lauren, thanks so much for stopping by and thank helping so us cover much. this. Yeah, thank you. Hey, wait, you've got to make sure. <laughs> oh. Where can people follow you? What else <laughs> are you writing about? <laughs> what are you really proud of recently? Like, this is your moment to, like, let people know uh, uh, what else is going on with, with your work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I cover uh, labor issues in tech. So right now I've been focusing on sexual harassment, sexual violence, uh, and rideshare companies like on Lyft and Uber. Um, also looking into pregnancy discrimination. Um, I also have the uh, an upcoming cover story for In These Times magazine about sexual harassment in the meatpacking industry, um, which I just mentioned. But you can follow me on Twitter. Um, it, my name is Lauren K. Gurley. And you can email me, too, any tips that you have, Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, dot girly, G-U-R-L-E-Y, at vice.com. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Perfect. And we'll keep an eye out for that uh, in these times cover story. All right. Well, uh, thanks for stopping by. And um, by the way, so we also sometimes, you're you're not going to be around here for the second segment, uh, but sometimes we ask just if there's... We do a show called Waypoints. We talk about what we're into. Is there anything cool that you're reading, watching on TV that you want to shout out that you've been to end on a higher note? I suppose anything, uh, anything, anything rad uh, that that you've been dealing with as well, besides um, sexual harassment in various workplaces. <laughs> I was really excited to see this group of kids in Las Vegas organizing a general strike in solidarity with teachers on TikTok. Um, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yes. Yes. That owns. Yeah. That is so good. So good. All right. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And on that note, with the younger generation leading the way with, uh, with, with direct action strikes, <laughs> we're going to take a break and engage in some commerce. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Uh, Danielle, this week... You've been playing a little bit of a game called Knights and Bikes, which yes. you've been comparing to Costume Quest, which I know for you is pretty high praise. <sighs> right up there. Yeah, I actually replay Costume Quest more than most other games, I would say, you know, before Into the Breach happened. Uh, that was, was about probably to- my most. <laughs> I was probably about my to most say. Did you play the second one? I did. I didn't finish See, I, it, though. Yeah, I didn't I did, finish I, it. I adored the first one. Yeah. It was one of the rare games that I think I got every achievement on because yep. I was just, like, so delighted funny. by it. The combat was just whatever. But, like, it, everything else about it, the world worked so well for me. And then I don't know. Like, I can't explain how I went from, like, this is one of, like, the most charming video games I've ever played to being, like, eh, sequel. I, I don't I don't know what happened there. I think the sequel is just, like, too expansive in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like, it, in a lot of ways, it was an interesting game and a cool game. But, like... The, there was something so tight about that first game. It's like six yep. hours. It's not like super short or anything, but it is like a good six hour. Like it was just enough. It was like you told yes. your story. Yeah. Let's get out. And the mediocre combat couldn't grate on you that long because you didn't have to engage with it that long. Exactly. Exactly. And like everything about that game is, you know, perfect is not a useful word, but everything about that game feels right. You know, like mm-hmm. everything about, you know, sort of exploring that first area in the suburbs of trick or treating. I grew up in a small city, so it looked kind of like that when it was trick-or-treating night and then the mall which is also perfect and then the sort of like it was like a haunted uh not really haunted but like sort of like a haunted weird village kind of thing at the end so like it had these three perfect areas that just screamed halloween and it was like very charming very fun very sweet uh kind of like knights and bikes which also is giving me a lot of those vibes it's not an rpg it's much more of like a zelda style of game uh, but even a little bit more button mashy in terms of the combat than a, a Zelda. But it's all kind of real-time combat. You see numbers and you hit enemies and it's all kind of, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm like four or five hours in, so I, I haven't seen the whole game yet. So if something changes radically, that's, you know, <laughs> disclaimer. Uh, but it has that vibe of like sort of end of childhood. Costume Quest wasn't really the end of childhood, but you could you could tell the characters kind of knew there was there was an interplay between sort of fantasy and reality there. Like, you never really knew in that game if, like, oh, are these real monsters or, like, this is just kind of part of their fantasy of, like, having the perfect Halloween night or is something really going on? This game plays with that as well. Uh, there are a lot of places where in... Uh, so it's two characters, it's two girls. It's Demelza and Neza, uh, Nessa. And Nessa is, like, a stowaway to this island, this sort of, like fictional British island, this 1987, like, it's falling apart. It used to be, like, a tourist trap kind of place. Uh, And they're kind of going around having adventures on their bikes. And it's not explicitly Halloween-themed, but it just feels so end of summer, beginning of fall, uh, very much more interested in childhood childhoods and then Costume Quest seemed to be, although Costume Quest was, again, sort of playing with some of those themes. Uh, In this one, there is, like, explicit, like, Bad things have happened to both of these kids, and they're certainly, like, dealing with their trauma in a way that is, like, using your imagination to have adventures. But also, they both kind of know that they're using their imagination to have these adventures. There's this, like, 
really beautiful fine line that the game uh, walks again in the, the first few hours. That's like, okay, one of them had uh, a, a parent die. I'll just say that. That's like in the very, very beginning. Uh, like there's a trauma. There's a family trauma. And the way she's dealing with that is by, you know, playing. She makes like a, a little, little shrine, a little area that she kind of keeps secret from most people and like playing with the bugs in that area, like things like that. Right. So they're both using this like fantastical adventure to kind of escape how awful life is. And there's like a kind of an economic depression going on in this island. Like uh, Demelza's dad might have to sell everything, that kind of thing. So it's like, my life is going to change in some possibly horrible way. <laughs> Let's have this one last grand adventure where we go fight demons uh, and knights on our bikes. Uh, and it's really charming. It's really sweet. Uh, the gameplay is, it feels very early double fine in that way where like, I care about the gameplay on some level, right? Like it's kind of fun to mash buttons and, and kill the bad guys. And you have all these little abilities and they're all cute. Like uh, it's like a killer Frisbee or like a killer toilet plunger, like goofy little things like that. I'm getting a little tired of this shtick though, actually yeah? with their game. So I, I so I, we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but I played rad, which oh, is, sure. did, did they make nights and bikes or are they just publishing it? Just published. So this is foam okay. store just published by double fine. But it, okay, feels, right. it, but it feels, but it feels, but it feels, it feels like yeah. early double fine. That's that's the thing that was a little bit weird to me um, because I used to be like a hardcore double fine fan, and then you know, it's not that I don't consider myself a fan anymore, but I haven't played the last few games. That, they that like ex- that like that like the Xbox 360, PS3 era yes. where they're putting like out like lots of like ago really ish, cool or nine, stacking eight, nine years. and yeah. costume quests. Like they just had like a real string of like excellent yeah. like micro games. Um, that were a lot of fun, but I, I, I bring up like being tired of the shtick even, and I wanted to clarify that Knights yeah. of X was not developed by them, but feels like it's in that same wheelhouse because we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but I wrote about having played like four hours of rad, which was, um, this roguelike that they put out, uh, a week or two back in which like the combat just doesn't, it feels very much like a double fine game, which is like, mm. it's there. Like <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Um, and it, that really hurt the roguelike, being a roguelike because so much of a roguelike is the mechanics carrying you through repeated runs over and over again. So it's one thing to have kind of, I think I described Double Fine's gameplay as squishy, which is like, it's there, but like you just can't, like it just doesn't feel right. Um, And that varies from product to product. Like I think a game like Headlander, which actually was a Metroid style game by, uh, I think it's Lee Petty, who was also the lead designer on Rad. I thought it was a, a terrific Metroid style game but didn't nail the combat in Rad. And anyway, this is all just like a, a longer way of saying uh, Double Fine's charm is only getting me so far anymore, I'm finding, in which, like, the superficial is definitely, like, way too shallow interpretation, but, like, where the gameplay feels like it's only halfway there is starting to lose it for me, especially if the other stuff can't make up for it. Um, like, in Rad, you, there isn't much of a story, so it's, like, mostly a mechanical thing. And so when the mechanical stuff feels eh, it's like, okay, well, I don't have anything else to grab onto, which is like, you know, Psychonauts, classic example of like a game which is okay combat, okay platforming. I don't know if they'll be able to get away with that a second time with Psychonauts 2. So I'm, I'm curious if that maybe changes as you play more of Knights and Bikes and it maybe 
finds its way through mechanically a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, some of this is is possibly that I haven't played a game like this in a little while, certainly. Sure. Um, that it, I have an appetite for it again. And I, and I touched on this. I, I wrote like a very, very short piece uh, the other day, but I touched on this a little bit that like it's nostalgic for me to think about childhood, but it's also even more nostalgic for me to think about like 10 years ago, like where I was when I was 25 and like playing those games for the first time. And again, that's not exactly right. I think Costume Quest was 2010, but like, Let's just call it a decade. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, around that, a few years ago before a lot of shit happened. Uh, being like happy and charmed to play these games. I love Brutal Legend. I love Psychonauts. Those are two of my favorite games of all time. And I wouldn't go tell you that the gameplay is like the tightest, least janky thing in the world. Cause that's not true. Uh, but it, they're incredible experiences to have, I think, despite maybe some quirks or some some jank and that kind of thing. So that might just be part of it. It might just be that I haven't played something like this in a while. And this really kind of hit me with that tone, that sort of end of summer, beginning of fall, things are going to change, childhood and, you know, kind of thing. I went home last weekend. I went home to my parents' house in Rhode Island and like went to the beach and it was like a beautiful, perfect day, but also a little cool. So it's like all these vibes of like, oh man, it's it's fall, it's time to go back to school, even though I haven't been in school in a very long time. <laughs> like that <laughs> vibe still kind of gets at you. So I do think that's part of it. But from what I've played thus far, I am really still hooked. Uh, and that's that's a totally subjective thing, right? Like it's, I don't think the gameplay, like if this were just like little, Sometimes I think of it this way. If everything was just a little square box, like a little like gray box and you're just moving around gray boxes, would it still be fun? Is like a somewhat useful uh, sort of uh, design metaphor to think about mechanics divorced from aesthetics and that type of thing. And like it might be it would be probably be like kind of a fun diversion or distraction. But yeah, I, I I'm still hooked. It, it it has those hooks in me. Uh, it's probably like 80 percent narrative, 20 percent gameplay that it's doing that for me. But but yeah, I I, it, it, is, it does also have, I guess I should also mention this, it does have that kind of Zelda puzzle-solving stuff, which I always enjoy pretty much, as long as it's done well. And it is meant to be a co-op game. Like, you are playing one character, another person is playing the other character, or the AI will play that character. So it is very, like, it does have enough, I think, uh, quirks going on, enough of its own vibe to not be, like, just a little hack and slash kind of game. Quick thing, it feels all right playing with the AI. AI. Feels great playing with the AI, yeah. Cool. Um, I've had no problems thus far. I mean, well, no. Once Who has to have has to solve puzzles, right? Yeah, and like, it just runs to just like action. the right yeah. place, kind of thing. Which, like, I was reading uh, yeah. Riley's uh, uh, review of Rankataku, and yeah. one of the things that they mentioned was that um, the co-op partner is very functional in uh, combat; works just fine. Um, but there were instances where like a puzzle would come up and the AI goes, cool, I got this. I'm going to go <laughs> do my thing, which immediately spoils how the puzzle works. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And there was one time where the an AI, AI character got a little stuck and it was no big deal. There was no soft lock or anything. I just had to like run her back around and kind of get them. So it wasn't like horrible. Yeah, that could totally happen. I, I will say none of the puzzles thus far have been like real brain teasers <laughs> or like sure yeah it, yeah, yeah. it, it is it does wow what a are you bit. saying about riley wow called out <laughs> i'm sorry riley i love you i just i just didn't think any of the puzzles were that no complex. no no but no I, I get what you're saying it's just that, like it's it, it, it you would have gotten the puzzle 30 seconds later anyway by the time yeah. you'd process it and it's not what you're there for you're by the way flowing. is there anything more humiliating than in an uncharted game 
when Sully starts solving the puzzle God. for you and oh. like explaining it to you as if like you are just stoned off your ass. And so you're like, it is mortifying where I'm like, damn, where do I, where do I put these symbols? And Sully's like, hey, uh, Nate, I think you need to, I think these symbols may have something to do with it. And I'm like, yeah, I've got that. So I've, I know, I know. This happened to, uh, like, uh, Rob, this happens in control. There's a uh, like oh, early game puzzle, maybe five hours in the Black Rock Quarry stuff. Where you need to, uh, there are like five terminals, and it's so clear the moment the game it just telegraphs the moment we walk in, like, wow, these whiteboards have symbols. They probably mean something to the puzzle that is explicitly in front of you. And they're like, one of the characters, the security chief or whatever, walks in is just like, these whiteboards gotta mean something. And you throw the character, and it, it makes sense for the game to say that once or twice as you're sort of just like going around, like the game is saying, like, oh, 60 seconds in, maybe they didn't pick up on it, so we'll just mention it. But the character doesn't stop the whole time you're solving the puzzle. Like, I have my notebook out. I've lined them up. I'm like, cool, I think I got it. Hey, hey, if you think about checking also, out those whiteboards, those oh. symbols seem like they mean something. Oh, no. <laughs> also, like, literally, so these five terminals are in different places in the room. And I swear to God, there's a whiteboard the board. connected by a cable to the relevant terminal. Like, you can no. follow, like, a snaking cable. <laughs> Like it goes around, it's like, oh, this is associated with this terminal. Like literally, it is like connect the dots with like eighty five percent of the dots connected, and then like like basically it's um oh gosh, it's very Dora, I guess is Aww. like you know can you find the map? You know, like yeah, it's, it's or it's the type of puzzle the map gives you, I should say, uh, for for Dora. But anyway, um. Danielle, though, I think one of the things that I really connected with in your piece, because I wasn't that interested in the gameplay, was this kind of uh, autumnal sadness that mm. seemed to be associated with the game. And, and you sort of said it has a strong 80s vibe and sort of calls back to 80s movies. And I think one of the things that has maybe been missing for me a little bit in the wave of 80s nostalgia. Like, take Stranger Things, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, Patrick, you can you can also, like, tell me whether or not this tracks with, with your view of those movies. But 80s movies that we watched when we were kids often had a sadness and, like, an angst at the center of them that I think gets flattened with memory. Like... I remember E.T. as being an uncomfortable, like, yes, E.T. is a great movie, but as a kid, also, it was a movie that made me feel uncertain. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a movie about not feeling entirely safe and in control at, at, as a child. Um, I feel like a lot of those, those 80s movies, remember them as being very, like, warm and nostalgic and safe, but a lot of times I've always felt those movies were not about that. Those movies were about... <laughs> you, remember, yeah. you remember them flying in the sky in E.T. Yeah. What you don't remember is finding that fucking alien in a ditch looking white as a ghost, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you turning to your, your mother looking at the movie and going, what movie am I watching? Like, mine did not sign up for my kids to experience, like, death during this, yeah. like, well, nice how, film about an alien. And often were those movies about, like, divorce or the threat destruction of or some, yeah, exactly like, like these movies like stranger things the closest stranger things i i think gets to this is in the first season where um will's mom um uh, grace yes I think um, so. grace buyer i think yeah. yeah where she 
goes to her boss and demands an advance on her like next two weeks of pay. Yeah. And oh, it's yeah, like, 100%. It's this great sequence where she just stares the fucking guy down and like just takes out a shit ton of gear on store credit, basically. And is, but it, it does sort of uh, really drive home how hard up she is and how they are just sort of the, the buyer's family is kind of hanging by a thread economically. That's about the only time they really hit that note in Stranger Things, I would argue. Uh, but I remember a lot of these movies as being about this sense that if you often feel as a kid like you are supposed to be safe, that mom and dad are going to be the shields between you and whatever is in the world outside. A lot of those movies is about realizing that shield can be brought down or realizing that maybe you're not safe from all of this, that security is something that's sort of slipping through your fingers. And that's the feeling that really intrigued me about uh, Nights and Bikes that you were you were sort, yeah. of, you sort of hinting at, that it feels like if if Costume Quest is about going trick-or-treating when you're like, the way you remember trick or treating when you were like nine or ten, nights and bikes feels more like you're a few years older and you realize that like maybe your parents don't got all this, or maybe they won't always be able to have all this. Yeah, there's so much of that. Uh, even even right at the beginning when it's like, oh yeah, this used to be the golf course, this used to be the theme park. It's all like abandoned, and so it's a perfect playground to to play and have fun and, and do all these things and have all these maybe imaginative uh, adventures. It also means this place is uh, depressed economically and dad is selling off that land so it can be mined, you know, like that's all you can do. Uh, and you might not have your home anymore and there might not be neighbors anymore. And there's also a, a real thing that I connected to here about friendship and how fleeting friendships can feel. Even if you're a kid and the thing you're most scared of is like, not having a friend group or not having your friend or, or maybe things will change. Maybe they'll go to a different school than you next year or, or maybe they'll move to a different town or, or maybe something. It's that change. It's like that fear of change. There's both the exciting anticipation of change and like, oh, my God, what's going to happen in the next year? All these exciting things. I'm going to meet new people. I'm going to learn new things. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to play a new sport, whatever, you know, whatever it was that got you excited as a kid. Um that's one half of it. And then the other half is like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to lose all the good things in my life. <laughs> like all these great things are going to go away. Maybe my friends won't be here. Uh, and that I, I think the game really hits that tone very, very nicely. Um, and that's I think that's kind of where it got its hooks in completely. And then I was like, well, it's also a fun game. That's pretty and, and nice and uh, hitting that vibe. So, yeah, I think it does it quite well uh, and very, very small team. I think there's only like uh, four or five people on the team at Foam Sword. So. It kind of feels like appropriately scoped uh, yeah. for that that type of thing, which I, I always like to see. I always like to see small teams making uh, cool personal work or work that at least speaks personally, even if it's not like, oh, my, you know, experience in the world. So nights and bikes. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it's worth a look. Um, going from that sort of dread of the imminent end of childhood <laughs> uh, to something I found, frankly, less scary. Uh, Patrick, are you finding control to be horrifying <laughs> no it's not no it's not a scary game i mean it's gonna be tense it's maybe but it's it's like uh i got jump you know, scared in the first mm. hour oh you're on it now oh All right, yeah here oh we go. shit okay uh i playing it i need to play it yeah, yeah like it, a, it has its moments yeah. but it's not, it's not staring at the monitor like what the fuck would a jump scared cut out 
I, I am. I was How trying to like crawl. It, it, no, it's it was it wasn't even a it was a sound. It was a sound that got me that like I wasn't expecting. It was louder than I expected. Right. There is one that got. There is one that got me. Uh, uh, but I don't want to spoil what it is because it's like a play on a sequence you think you're familiar with, and then it hits you with an image during it. So I don't mm. want to spoil what it is, but mm. it, it's it's not a gotcha game like that. Like compared to let's say you know Danielle was on here you know recently talking about Blair Witch, yeah. which I'll hopefully have a chance <laughs> to check out uh, uh, next week because I actually yeah. just got a code for it. But like that's a game that's like all right, time to fucking get you. <laughs> <And like, Alan, laughs> Alan Wake uh, yes. Control uh, is uh, it, Alan Wake nor Control. Are, are games like that. Kato, okay, because Rob and I could just go down on a tangent of control. Sure. So could, uh, could you come here and validate our experiences? We were correct, right? Ka- control is very good. Yeah, yeah, it fucking, yeah, yes. From See, the get, go. how did you, how did you, how did you not mention the janitor at the beginning? Like, that's like the opener also. Like, what the, no, we, I believe, that I was at the, the end. Kato, that was at the end of the fucking, <laughs> and it was just like, Rob ended fuck? one of the, like a segment being like, maybe he's God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the fucking, like, uh, uh, it does that, I mean, there's that great trick, which is so dumb, but it got me real good of that sequence at the beginning shift, like, the way that the architecture shifts there being mm-hmm. just, like, great. I'm, all right, I'm already being, being put off just by how uneasy I am with remembering what space is in this location. Like, that's just setting the tone so well for this game up front. Um... Yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far and spending probably way too much time in dark rooms that don't actually have anything in them trying to make sure I didn't miss a piece of lore because all that stuff has been really yeah, good. Yeah, I <laughs> wish the game, and maybe Rob, you can answer this. Is there anything, because we've talked about how strong the writing is in this game and like every time I go through an area, and I guess Kato, this is what you're experiencing right yeah. now, and maybe it'll, once you realize how much sheer document dumps there are in the game you'll let it go a little uh-huh. bit as you go along because you, you'll just naturally find stuff but because all of it is so good like the quality across the board of every piece of writing you find is tremendous yeah. I, I it does bug me knowing that like there's gonna be a bunch that i do inevitably miss even if i still see a lot like does the game solve that in any degree like you you don't like get like a hey by the way all the lost documents are just on your map now or anything like that no. Not that I found, and again, I'm not certain if things are not being repopulated uh, behind me. Like I talked about this last <laughs> time, I have completed the game, so I've like a lot of the in, in the opening of the game, they do a lot of things where they change a level on you, yeah, and they change a layout on you, and you're like, okay, but that's clearly a card you're playing for this introductory sequence, uh-huh. but like probably at some point the whole level settles down into sort of a set state. And I think it largely does that. But again, I still got that feeling sometimes of finding a room I I had no recollection of, uh, or (laughs) walking into a room I'd been in repeatedly and like suddenly there's an audio log or suddenly there's, uh, you know, a, a file for me to go through and that's continuing to happen. So as far as, knowing like when you're done done with control (laughs) i think it does a very i think actually one of the things that is charming about it is that it plays on that uncertainty and it doesn't get annoying about it so if you think about like the awful collectibles of alan wake those little fuck you thermoses Thermoses. that are uh, okay Mm. yeah thermoses are you are you a thermos defender nothing nothing 
Nothing. We'll talk, off, we'll talk off. We'll talk off podcast. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Hold on. I'm getting called. I'm getting called the principal's office. No, no, no. no we'll no, we'll no, discuss no, no, this. No, no, keep going. No, you're right. No. Yeah. It was and the game and the game never. I don't remember an Alan Wake ever being like. Uh, yeah, this is bullshit, right? Like the game is like usually pretty good about like knowing its own garbage. Control especially seems to like be finding ways to like. Well, there are games that like recognize what we're doing is bullshit. But then it still does it. And it's like, okay, I don't know if that excuses it. Control, like, is both aware of what's going on, but also isn't, like, over... Like, the collectible is the documents. There are no other things to find other than, well, Rob, you finished... Rob, you sent me a message when you were almost (laughs) done with this game, and I had started playing it. And you said, hey, how many... I don't have two powers. There are six powers you collect in this game? Rob missed a third of them by the time he beat them. And then I was like six hours in this game and I said, Rob, I have five powers. (laughs) Which ones don't you have? Um, And Rob did not get uh, one of the really good ones, the defensive one where you can, oh, I guess I don't want to spoil it because Kato's probably not this far. But there's a defensive one that you you get that is in addition to the offensive powers um, that you get. And uh, somehow, Rob, you didn't didn't get all the powers. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh Uh-huh. So one of the first things they do is they tell you, go to this place, go to the training course and go deal some shit there. I'm like, great. Where's the training course? And it marks roughly where it is, but like you have to go explore your way to it. And I'm like, I'm going to get to that in just one second. But then this is the nature of control. 70 documents later. <laughs> what I kept training getting course? pulled in different directions. And then once I hit this fucking high, like super max vault area of the game nah, where I just it's got like, want to want to find the like crazy fucked up shit menagerie. And <laughs> I was like, do I? And at that point I just had never gone back to do that side quest. And I was like, surely if this was critical path, I would have been made to go do that. I went down a major fucking like optional quest chain in this game. And like that didn't give me that didn't give me fucking powers. But meanwhile, like a core power that would have made the end of the game way fucking easier <laughs> never appeared. Uh, I, think, like, I think that's I think that's bad. I, I think honest like it is. It should I be. I think it's good. Hmm. You think it's good? Oh. Why? The game should have at least marked. The game does not delineate between importance of side quests. It just says a side quest is a side quest is a side quest. You did not choose, like, there was nothing. The game doesn't say up front, hey, if you don't seek out the side quest, there's a chance you're not going to get all the powers. It sort of implies that by design in which the powers are doled out by important side quests that are sort of populated as you progress through the game. But at no point did you make the conscious choice you did side quests, Rob. You did a bunch of side quests so before many. you beat this game. You just didn't pick the side quest that got you a power. And so that should have been, like, because the reason you get powers are because you do side quests that involve an object of power. And so that should have been, like, in the mission list, yeah. it should have been under one that says object of power, which is like, oh, wow, okay. This one is is important enough that... uh Maybe I can't finish it now or I want to do it later, but that is an that is a special power for my character. I'm going to make sure I finish doing right. that. And I think that is I understand what you're trying to argue, which is like, oh, like, you know, you should be able to you didn't spec a build. Like, you just missed something critical and had no idea that you missed it. I did, but I think this is like and it's I a think- training course that you finish. It's something where you have to shoot enough things in under a minute. Like it's not like like a super cool quest. Like it's pretty lame, like all things considered. 
But I think the reason I kind of like this is because I like that I was able to miss that and still go through the game. Sure, like, I sure, like the sure. control feels less curated in some ways. Like I think one of the reasons I like this so much is that linear, like plot driven shooters have gotten a little stale for me in part because, well, let's use the destiny comparison again. Like so many of them do the, like here's effectively go through this hallway. Now in destiny, sometimes that hallway can be really wide, but it is still nevertheless a hallway that points in a direction. You're going to go through it. Sometimes it gets really tight, but what I like about Control is that it's not a game of hallways. It is a game of like places and rooms and like different areas that you go to. And you can, you will, if you miss something, the game won't sort of grab you by the scruff of your neck and, and sort of uh, frog march you back to it. You can just miss it and it will be there for you as you continue to play more of the game and explore more. Uh, and, and missing those powers is also why. I ended up with a super build of a levitating, um, a, a le- levitating wizard, basically. Yes. Is what I was playing by the end. Yes, like, which is cool. I, I got no problem with levitating wizards. Well, well maybe I do. I was gonna say it you, depends on how they are on my side. You play, you play some Destiny. Lots of levitating wizards there. Okay. <laughs> no, you can like no, you can no, no. they they can uh. float briefly and fall slowly. What? No, that's weak. That's not weak. Fucking warlock jumps are the best jump. Everyone Compare on the Compare that to what Jesse me. can do <laughs> in control. Just Kato, no, play more no, control. No, no, no. And I then will, you realize this is the this is the true destiny. <laughs> this is my destiny. Uh this is destiny this was is, under your control at all times. This is very yeah. funny because it, it 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 the opening of this game definitely feels like it's gonna be more linear than I think it is, but you're talking about side quests in a way that like it opens up eventually or like because every time I even in the first like hour, I'm just like, this is a linear shooter and I will go from point A to point B as the game tells me and it'll be interesting along the way. But it's still pretty much. That, yeah. Right. Like, Rob, like I mean, maybe it widens. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Like in the back half of the game, I feel like I'm at the halfway mark. But like it's a big space. Mm-hmm. And like those missions we were alluding to before where it's like, hey, the dynamic missions, which is like, ah, there's named enemies often a different part of the map is like a reason to go there. And there are some side missions that are in some different spots, but it's like never the case where you're like, I've got 15 things to do. You generally seem to have like three things you could be doing and they tend to be forward, but maybe that opens up. I don't know. Central research is pretty wild though. The sheer amount of things you've got to do in on the research level um, is pretty absurd. So, like I like I think probably in the end, a lot of times you will find a new room where there's a new thing that you got to deal with, and that's cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I don't know that I would fully say that it's uh, can be reduced easily to a linear story driven shooter. I get what you're saying, sure. but I do think some of those spaces are just weird enough and have enough nooks and crannies of stuff in them uh, that. You can you can wander around pretty pretty far afield. Um, Have you found a, a a true hidden pathway, like an actual thing? The game pops up and says you found a hidden pathway. Oh yeah, there's, there's hidden areas. Okay, yeah, like mm-hmm. there was a, a section. This this won't spoil anything, um, but just to like put it, like the game doesn't tell you that these exist. It's not like hey, by the way, like 
look around. Like there's stuff that I like, truly like I was just screwing around and then um, like just kind of threw something at like this set of rocks that I thought were unbreakable. Not nah. what you can break those rocks what? and go on to the other <laughs> side and it's a complete hidden path. I couldn't finish it. It's like one of those sections that has like the glowy purple stuff that, you know, immediately starts killing you. I think maybe, yeah, but it's, you know, Oh, so you, oh, so you, you haven't taken care of the mold. Okay. No, I think I'm at, I'm at like the super max section. You so can complete the game without doing that, by the way. Once again, that like, that's not a progress gate. That's just like a thing you can deal with or not. Interesting. I need to play this game. That sounds really neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's weird. Like I, like I think you, you play, if you play control, like you end up having kind of your experience with it, which I think is cool. It also seems to give, like, as I think Kato even being um, confused on how to classify it was like, well, it feels like is actually a testament to like the way they draw the spaces right. and like how they situate you in them is that sure. Like if you start like ticking it down in your head, yeah, it actually kind of just feels like it's a pretty linear, like 3d shooter, like something that, you know, uh, Remedy's done plenty of times before, but just the way they situate it and the context they put it in gives gives it a feeling of breath that it may not actually have, but just giving it the appearance of that, giving it the feeling of that, like makes it feel bigger and a little more different than maybe what it like actually is on like a bullet point basis, which is I think a testament to like the game itself. Totally, I will say that I never I never expected to find just like a box on the ground that spat things out at me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what? That's not what this it's game so feels goofy. like. I, but <laughs> there it is. I'm, at this point, I feel like I've just embraced yeah, it. I'm just yeah. like, yeah, sure. Why is this one in a toilet? I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. Good. I say that. Yeah, every it's day. yeah. It's very much like uh, those like simple human trash cans. Like just the, that's the max level one you get. It's just like <laughs> uh, you know. Except obviously, ideally, you wouldn't want to eject trash when you mm. uh, open it. But that's kind of <laughs> how it feels. Just over designed, over engineered. Um, yeah. Anyone hit any performance issues with it? By the way, um, I've seen some things about I'm, like I'm on PC. It chugs yeah. a little bit every once in a while, but I have like a a 1080, so, like, it kind of just grinds through it, and I'm playing a 1080p, but I know, like, I guess I'm not su- surprised about this, but, like, people playing on, like, base-level Xboxes, and especially base-level PS4, sounds like the game runs, like, shit. Yeah. Um, in, in, like, heavy combat and stuff. That. But you're playing on PC, right, Kato? I yeah. Um, I play PC, your PC, Austin's playing PC. I was 1X. And, and you're on Xbox One X, so kind of, like, you like those machines are kind of grinding through it, but I was reading some reports about the, the base level PS4 version, which is like not good. Which is like, on one hand, not uh, great because it's uh, you think Remedy would do better, and that maybe, but also the, the this game and Bloodstained both published by 505 Games. Hmm. Um, and Bloodstained had performance and technical issues across all of its platforms. The Switch game is basically unplayable. Hmm. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, you know, I guess it's possibly a coincidence that 505 published two games back to back that have severe performance issues. It's also possible that, like, maybe there's something to that um, and that maybe these are two games that came in hot and you talk to enough. Deve- you know, most developers say that the performance stuff that, like, gets sorted out, the kind of things like this, this sort of thing that would get ironed out, that happens in the last, like, 60 days of development. Mm-hmm. And so... Unfortunately, I think a lot of performance stuff is going to get punted to 
patches that we're going to get in the next right. month or so. So, Do you think at all it has, I mean, it obviously feels like it has also to do with the fact that the, the half-step consoles exist, even. Like, if those didn't exist... That doesn't help. They, yeah. they probably would have delayed the game or whatever if it was running that badly, because I've heard stories of, like, single-digit frame uh, f- frame rates, which I, don't, I can't see them... If that was the only way people were going to be playing on console, I can't see them like actually shipping that way. No, and if, and if you think about the way games are covered, um, there's a reason like most games, even if they're multi-platform, when they're at a media event, an E3 or whatever, they're often on PCs yeah. um, because they can brute force through. And that's understandable because they're brute forcing through performance optimization they're going to do at the end of development anyway. So... Um, but it's also the case that media influencers, like anyone that would have like early access to a game, those people are also going to be the kind of people who are playing on high-end hardware, mm. whether it's a high-end yeah. PC or Xbox One X uh, or a PS4 Pro. And so even the uh, like information that it is a problem ends up getting delayed just by the way that like these games are filtered through um, – various forms of media. It's like really until you get a digital foundry report that you get a, like the best sense of how a, how a game's performing. And I don't, I don't think we've gotten one for control yet. Got to hear, I got to hear the digital foundry folks tell me about that ray tracing. I'm so curious. <laughs> is it, is it real? Does I, it work? How would I know? I think I'm going to turn go it to on. Guys. I have a, I have a 1080 TI and supposedly you can turn it on, but not play the game really. Like it's such a performance hit, but I just want to see what it looks like. Mm. <laughs> just stand in a room. Uh, Steve uh, Steve Cam Fobwashed uh, on Twitter. I think he was posting some animated gifs of like what some of the stuff. But those looks could just like. be shops. <laughs> That's given, true. Yeah, given you, know, you know what? Like, Steve he's Cam- just like holding his phone outside. <laughs> Steve, like, just, Steve, I just want I want to make want to make clear that like Rob's calling you a liar. Like he just flat <laughs> just out did it. Just flat out. Just wow. like, yeah, maybe Steve's just holding his phone up to a mirror. Uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> wow. I'm very sad to hear the Switch version is unplayable. Well, there's no Switch version of Control. Sorry, oh, uh, sorry. Bloodstained, um, the Castlevania game. Um, no, this game would not run. Definitely not going to no. be a Switch version yeah. of Control. No. Now no. I am even more depressed. Actually, I'd be curious to see reason, how they would adapt that. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's... It's actually probably not impossible, given, they like... Witcher 3, the, like... True. Have you, have you have you looked at what the witch? And, That's what and the I'm Witcher saying. Three has the Witcher Three has a level of detail that Control does not, right. and I only mean that in the sense that like Witcher Three's world detail is like highly dense and like a huge uh, depth, uh, like a uh, uh, you know like the world is big. You can see a lot of it at once. Not not the case in Control. Like you could probably comp- you could probably ratchet down. I bet like Control. You know, if we think of like detail levels as like high, medium, low. I bet Control still looks pretty damn good on. Yeah. There's a lot of broad areas of color and just shapes that you could probably get to work and look good on a Switch that aren't like textures of grass and things like that, like in The Witcher. So, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Those fonts, by the way, damn, fucking great fonts. Right, I am such, God. I am such a sucker for the, and this has been the case ever since, like, like Fringe did it. Uh, and Hell then yeah. Splinter Cell did it like the big font with a <laughs> boom, boom. like I love that uh, I love it like the not enough thing? media <laughs> like yeah yeah whatever just a little and, music like just a little like percussion yeah. note too just like boom love it uh, yeah just it's uh and just I, I love it it's just like a way like a, a location announcing itself 
in a way that just mm, yeah. re- really does it for me. check out Kirk Hamilton's tweet about uh, what apparently is his favorite feature of Control is that so far when you enter a new zone, uh, it gives you the name of the department you're in in this big, glorious uh, font as, as you walk in. It's very much like you just started a new episode of a TV show. Um, <laughs> Should we take a quick dip into the question bucket before we before we wrap up here? Oh, uh, before we do that, uh, Kata, you had mentioned you already played it, and yeah. I actually played ninety minutes of it before um, we jumped on here. Uh, Creature in the Well, because I think it's going to come out in between now and when we because we're going to have a waypoints that goes up on Monday, right, right. so we won't record a podcast till next Friday. So, do you want to just like quickly sure. like do some impressions of Creature in the Well? Um, yeah. Uh, have you gone through a full loop yet? Like where you like. I turned on a monolith. Okay, you have it. Okay. Oh, I did. I, I died once. Okay, and yeah, you went I, back I died. In, went, did right? the first monolith? Died. Gotcha. Yeah, okay, yeah. so like this is it's a it's a roguelike game, right? Where like the you could loosely describe it as pinball adjacent. Uh, you are this little robot, uh, and you enter uh, into this complex that is built into a mountain where you're turning on various uh, electronic equipment. And in order to do that, you have to take these little energy balls and hit various things that look like pinball, like bumpers and stuff in the world. Um, you have two uh, methods of doing this with like, well, there's two like things that you use. One is a sword that uh, basically holds a ball in place it locks you into position and then you can spin around to aim while you're holding a ball of place and you can like gather up to three balls that way. And then the other button is just a, um, a, a stick of some sort that will hit in, hit, hit the balls in whatever, whatever direction you're facing. Um, how are you finding the, the precision? What, what are you playing on? First of all, actually, is it just a switch game? So I'm playing on uh, I think it's coming PC okay. as well. I think it's, I think I want to say it's a PC and Switch game to to start. Um, I'm playing on Switch. I despise the analog sticks uh-huh. on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Like I've I I I don't even like the PS4 analog sticks. Like the Xbox One controller is like my favorite controller ever made. <laughs> like it's what I want to play everything on. And partially it's because it's it's both. Well, that's a whole separate podcast. We do our favorite little list yeah, the best controllers. best controllers and it'll just be the xbox one controller and we just won't talk about any of the other ones <laughs> um but i really don't like the sticks on the switch and this is a game that requires um really asks of like some really minute precision yeah. so like what kato is alluding to you know like where you're trying to hit like various elements of a pinball table like sometimes that's just like there's like 16 things on screen and it's just like yo just hit a bunch of balls in that direction. Go and they're going to go blink, 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 blink. <laughs> Lights are going to go on. It's just going to be delightfully, delightful aesthetically and mechanically. And there's not a whole lot of like you doing anything except just like sending those balls out again. Because um, in the game, you're collecting energy to open up doors. And then sometimes you're hitting things in a certain sequence to turn on like the power of a room, which may unlock a secret door that gives you like a uh, a way to upgrade your health or a way to... Um, uh, sort of hit the balls in a different way. Like for example, one of them you connect, you you equip in it. Uh, uh, it will show you the path that the ball is going to yeah. take. Um, like further than just like a little arrow. But yes, yeah, like there's there have been sequences where like, hey, you need to shoot it like straight and in like a very narrow path. Mm-hmm. And there are sequences where the game puts a timer on it, and there's just a straight up like second timer on on top of like various objects. And my problem is not that I don't know where to throw it 
or that I've never like controlled an analog stick before, but I found some, I found it extremely difficult to get the switch analog stick to be like, yeah. Hey, I need to go straight North. And what I would find was that it would like wiggle in like a way that like the game was not accommodating for in the design. And so the path it needs me to do is straight up like 90 degrees. Like I just, it needs to be North South and I can't do that. I'm doing like 93 yeah. Eh, like you're not going to get it. And I found that to be frustrating Same. because it, it was the hardware working against me in a way that's like, maybe I should just, this is a game that feels like it's ideal for a switch, but that's not the controller I want to use. And yeah. so I'm like tempted to wait and play it on PC where I would have like a better, or I'd want to use a mouse, honestly, maybe. Yeah, honestly, um, that's what I was uh, feeling too, is that it just feels like it requires a precision that that analog stick isn't going to give you especially before you get that cuz you don't start with the the tracer like you get a a small arrow next to your person that's like it's going to go that way but uh the way that it's laid out like the that angle can be off by like a degree and you won't know until the ball's over there and misses right like it it feels yeah you'll have you'll have sections where you're bouncing off like three different things and you need it to go at like you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, like a 45 and, you know, like then straight yeah. across and then another 45. And it's not like often in games that have pinball mechanics, it usually stretches out like the expected trajectory, yeah. like pretty far out. It won't give you like all across the room, but like you get a sense of like, I don't know, maybe half of the flight path of the ball. This game just tells you now nah, that's just the, the, just the d- direction it's heading in. Once it leaves, who knows where that ball yep. is going? Um, <laughs> And even the one that I got that like finally shows a like true a, a, Sonic sequel. <laughs> <laughs> good. Don't hate on Sonic Spinball. It's a good game. Um, even the one I think it's the Dual Blades yeah. uh, that I found that like gives you like a longer path. That's a hidden object. Yep. It's not even something the game gives you up front yep. to be like, hey, you don't get a special po- you don't get like a special power in a different direction, but you at least get better accuracy. It's like, fucked up. Cause... I've had I've had I've had puzzles that I didn't couldn't solve the puzzle not because i didn't know what to do but because i couldn't do it because my shaky ass thumb <laughs> yeah um and this broke ass uh, uh analog stick like couldn't couldn't operate together. it's definitely it, it and i get this is part of like roguelike design right is this idea of finding things that will help you down certain paths that maybe you didn't have on the first run so actually really quick like high level about how this is laid out uh, i actually think it's pretty uh neat because when you when you die, what happens is that uh, the cre- the titular creature in the well actually tosses you out mm-hmm. onto like an overworld where there's like a small town and you can actually hear some other people like that exist in this world uh, talking and uh, you're it basically gives you the flavor that you're it's like a post apocalyptic world where there's been a sandstorm covering the planet for as long as the current generation can remember like a kid says like. Uh, Hey mom, do you remember? Did you ever see a blue sky? And it's like, no, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? It's like that's what it says in this book. And it's like, no, that's that's just fantasy. No, there's no such thing as the blue sky. Um, and uh, you Aww. walk through this area, and then you actually re-enter uh, the the kind of compound where you're trying to turn on all this power. Um, and it 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 feels like. And, and after you beat after you beat like the first opening section, uh, there's two paths you can go down, and I went down one, um, and like struggled for a while because there's a lot of precision shots. And then I was like, "Fuck it, I'll go down the other one." 
uh, just to see how far I can get. And that's where I found the hidden uh, blade that gives you the aiming reticle that goes all the way across in the direction you're going. And then I was like, oh, okay. I was supposed to go down this way. But it it didn't feel... It felt like that should have probably just been something that you've, you're given up front because it it requires such a precise uh, aiming that you you wouldn't have otherwise. It just feels kind of like now it's opened up in a way where like I'm having fun again. I was like getting frustrated to the point of like I don't think I'm gonna be able to finish this game. I just cannot make it work with with uh, the way I can barely tell where these balls are going. Like it's not it's not precise enough for what they're asking. Um, Yeah, so uh, you know, I'm I I like it because I I want or say I want to like yeah. it because I pinball mechanics I have like a soft spots for, but um, honestly, I think yeah, now I that I have like, the thing, I'll I'm gonna feel be- I'm feeling yeah. better about it already. Um, but right, right. I'm gonna put more time into yeah. it because again, like I said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a total sucker for, for yeah. this stuff, and uh, I want to see what more there is to it. And the world seems kind of like charming and interesting, and like the writing is pretty. Like there's, it's got a kind of light touch to it there's not uh there is some lore in a world but um like the pinball stuff is good enough um but yeah I'm, it's a bummer about mm. the i think i think there is a way to connect an xbox one controller oh. using the eight like i that'd be great uh, i bought this eight but do like the like the snes looking yeah. um uh controller and i think it comes with an adapter that allows you to connect like any bluetooth controller to a switch. I gotta look. Oh shit! I think that's the case. So <laughs> I should see if I can connect an Xbox One controller to this thing That'd because be that analog stick would. Well, then it would just expose it. To, actually, you just suck at this game. But then, <laughs> you know what? If I just rule that out, that's which fine. Is, I, I wish I could rule that out because that's that's the frustrating part that yeah. I found so far is that I can't rule out. I can't figure out where my failure begins and my frustration with like the 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 UI mm. slash hardware of the Switch like run it runs into yeah. that um but it sounds like if i get a little further maybe i can kind of isn't the pro controller kind of a ready-made a b test the pro controller does have a better analog stick from what i understand and the, the pro controller's problem the reason i didn't buy one is because well, one it's expensive and uh <laughs> i'm cheap um <laughs> well all, all, all the switch hardware is extremely yeah. expensive like I, I the amount of times i've thought about buying another dock and i'm like 50 bucks like okay i'm good i'll move it um but um, it has a bad D-pad, like famously a bad D-pad. And so I didn't buy the Pro Controller because I was looking for Mario Maker stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll buy – I need a better D-pad than the one on the on the Switch uh, Joy-Cons. And everyone said the Pro Controller one's like, oh, it's easy. You just open it up and you fix it. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like that's – that's I'm not that person. I'm also – Sorry, I'm also – I only play in handheld like 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. So like that's just what – I do have a pro controller, yeah. but that's only for when we're busting out Smash during a, a party or something. But uh, otherwise, yeah. it's dealing with that analog. And like, it, 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 here's the thing: is like most games, I haven't noticed it. Right? Most other things that I've played haven't bothered me. Yeah. Apart from the drift, that's a whole different issue. But like, the precision of it hasn't come into play until this moment. Um, and it definitely feels kind of like they may have designed with the 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 precision of a mouse and then try to make give that same precision without any sort of help to the uh switch analog stick yeah i think you're right because like i played uh 
a couple hours of like Doom on the Switch and like it was fine. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't as good as playing in like other formats, but like shooters work pretty well on the Switch. Or at least it's 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 to the point where those analog sticks don't uh interfere with my ability to play the game. Like it's not my preferred like feel for that, but it's like whatever, I can make it work. And it's like this is one of the first times, maybe the first time where like I've had like a like a just a real problem with like trying to control a game that I that I find myself blaming on the hardware. Yeah. So yeah, that's Future of the Well. It's a. It's, it's uh, also it, it looks cool next week. It yeah. looks like yeah, it's got a really neat. It's aesthetic. like it's like what if you took those WPA posters that they made for the uh, the what's it called the the national parks and made that into an aesthetic ah. for a world. That's what that looks sure. like. <laughs> that's awesome. Same kind of color palette too. Like yeah. So yeah, look just look up WPA uh, national parks posters. Uh, let's see. Uh, Switch. Uh, Windows and Xbox. Oh, okay. It sounds like what it's cool. uh, coming to on uh, September 6th. All right. Nice. Now do we want to take a quick uh, jump in the question bucket? Sure. Let's take a dip. Cool. Um, I picked this one out because it relates to a story we uh, published this week. Uh, can online stores make a game worse? Uh and not sure if this person wants their uh, the, their name out there because it's only in the uh, in the from field, so I'm not gonna not gonna give their name. But uh, this listener writes uh, in an example of how online features can actually make a single player game worse. I only just realized this week why the newer uh, Ubisoft games, Far, Far Cry 4, or 5, Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, have demonstrably worse save game systems than the previous ones. I was playing Splinter Cell 3 on Xbox One, which has a quick save and four slots. Very convenient. Yet boot up a new Far Cry or an Assassin's Creed game, you'll have no manual save options at all. It's because of the in-game store. They allowed you to revert to a save prior to purchasing coins, skins, etc. or change your mind about what items to buy with their funny money. They might have to figure out a way to give you that money to, or coin back. They would have to establish a way to allow accounts to roll back gracefully, including purchases. So instead, every bit of progress on your, on your save is instantly locked in. You move in one direction, forward. And if you don't like a gun you bought or a choice you made or a plan that failed, well, that's too bad. We saved your progress. No decisions can be undone in this supposedly single-player experience. A modern, useful, player-friendly system was removed from Ubisoft properties because it got in the way of microtransactions. You think other examples of online connectivity making it hard to play your games the way you want. This one jumped out at me because uh, we just had this week that kind of amazing NBA 2K trailer Mm. uh, (laughs) featuring... All the and it's not quite the same thing as an in-game store, but they were they were featuring all the uh, little mini games and prize systems associated with the NBA 2K uh, My Team feature, which is sort of the 2K equivalent of uh, Madden FIFA Ultimate Team, for instance. And these things are tied into both sort of the the stickiness of these games, the the player retention, the the, the way people uh, just continue investing time in these games. But also, in some ways, they do tie into the systems uh, that are in place in modern games to keep you investing money in a game you already own. Um, And so I guess, you know, throwing this open to the floor, uh, what do we make of that of that top level question? Can online stores or do online stores make games worse in some ways? Hmm. I personally get 
very mad and very sad and very frustrated. If any iota of progress I've made is is like if if there's any game I can't drop at, at a second's notice, and I don't have kids, there's no like I'm yeah. just I'm just persnickety about this because I hate wasting my time. It's like just this gnawing thing for me. So if like I lose some progress in something, or if I lose a save, or even if it's really pretty minor, I get really upset. So this. This is upsetting to me. This is very like, how dare you? How dare you take away some of my hard-earned time at well, game store? Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I think to a degree, I think that's the, that's the other part of it is autosave systems are super aggressive, but I'm not entirely sure. I would say it's entirely down to um, down to the fact that they have to make these purchases, these decisions irrevocable in some ways. Yeah. I think there is, it's this weird thing where before autosave features were like a thing, uh, especially before console games could manage saves in a rational <laughs> way and needed save points. Um, I think a lot of us were sort of conditioned to sort of save as you go. Say mm-hmm. like you, you in your mental checklist of playing the game, you sort of thought about when am I going to save my progress and, well, and is, is this a save or a quick save, Rob? Exactly. Console gamers don't. I mean, it almost feels like we should explain like what that was. So it's for like those born P- after 1990, right? So in PC games, hold on, primarily. This, hold on. What does Dishonored has this? It does yeah. On console, Arcane, on console, Arcane's games have this. Yeah. Okay, but that's that's, that's rare. Like, yeah, if you didn't play yeah, Dishon- yeah, like, yeah, fair enough. Dishonored uh, is an outlier, and that yeah, is because yeah. those are PC purist developers who are like, and they're smart. They should have, so the, the way this, but this was like super common, especially amongst like first person shooters, like Doom on, in which you had like hard saves, right? But like, mm-hmm. which, uh, and then there were things called quick saves, which like so regular saves, you could have a dozen of those, like after every level or whatever. And then quick saves was meant to be like. All right, I'm about to go into a room. Like, I'm probably gonna get fucked up. Like, quick save, and then if it goes wrong or like it wasn't an optimal way through the room, quick load. And it was like usually like F6 and F9. Was it F4 and F6? I can't remember. Well, here's the thing: for you young folks, there were those two buttons, and sometimes you could really screw yourself if you confuse them. Like, I think some games put them next to each other, and I think they stopped doing that for this very reason. (laughs) But a thing that like. Most most of our listeners probably too young to remember this, but you just sort of reflexively like reload when you fucked up and mm-hmm. were like plummeting your death or just like being shot to death. So you're like, well, this run's done, and you hit the button. But here's the problem: if you were leaning on quick save really hard, and that was basically the only record of your progress, That's and then me you just, in Max Payne too, you just forgot one second which button was which, or you mashed the wrong one, and then the game loads up. And it's the thing you were just playing as your character like falls to their death or like gets like murdered. I had a Max Payne 2 like run where I lost like six hours of progress because oh. I did exactly what you were talking about. Which is like, it's very easy to just lean on the like, hey, I'm just going to sit here all afternoon. What do I need a hard save for? I'll just I'll just quick save and quick load for like the whole time that I'm sitting here. And there was a moment where and they were on separate keys. So I don't like don't have a good excuse here. Um, <laughs> a, a key separated, I, I should say, like by like several other keys. Um, and yeah, like in Max Payne, you know, you know, the big thing is, you know, jumping out and like, you know, uh, with your guns all outstretched. And I did that off of a ledge <laughs> and went to go hit quick load, hit quick save. And then was like, oh, and I couldn't even like plead ignorance to myself on it. Like because. 
the games often like in the corner or like in like the tilde UI, like in the, you know, in the, in the upper left-hand corner, be like, game saved. And I'm like, oh, game saved. Yeah, that's bad. I can, I'm <laughs> falling to the ground. Like, Uh-oh. I'm going to die. And there's a quick load. And you're, and, and uh, PC gamers will know. Uh, so like, if you only if true you, PC gamers, only true PC gamers will know. Gamers. Um, but like, if you've gotten yours, I feel like everyone's gotten into a situation like that before. And then you just like see if you can crawl your way out of it. So it's like, so you would like, Put your fingers on the control on the keyboard and be like, "All right, just hold back. Like maybe I can make it back to the ledge." So it's like, "Hit quick load, hit quick load, boom!" Like, uh, uh, like see if I can, like find some way to like get back on that ledge. It was not possible, and so instead oh. I like, like reluctantly looked up where my last hard save was, and uh, it was you know hours ago. I was Jeez. like, "Cool." Well, it's the summer. Fuck it. Let's just go <laughs> back to back it's a great to the third game. mission. It is. Oh, it's Max Payne it. one and two. Terrific. I I did not like Max Payne three at all. Um, Hard but, disagree, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, I that was it, Max goes to the favela, right? In the third one. Yeah. It, doesn't I, just go there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh boy. I, if it Levels was called, it to the ground. If it was called uh, anything oh other boy. than Max, anything other than Max Payne, I bet I would have liked it more. I just could not get over and you know i'm I'm certainly a remedy stan and so like to watch like the charm sucked out of like max Payne in favor of like rock stars like typical approach to storytelling like just i just couldn't i just couldn't yeah it just didn't do anything for me so yeah max Payne three has a couple moments where they pointedly like call out things they thought were dumb in Max Payne 2. Like you're in this funeral <laughs> once. Right. You're in this not funeral. You're in this graveyard once and you see um a gravestone for Detective Winterson. And Max is like, "Damn, I really fucked that up." He's doing that a lot. Wow. Like, "Damn, I really fucked everything up." And he's like, "So it's my fault what happened." And it's like, "No, dog. She was the villain." <laughs> Like, like they, they, they just sort of create this moment where it's like Max visiting the grave of his old partner and reflecting on his mistakes. And it's like, dude, no, she was like working with the guy who turned against you. And like, yes, you may not have liked the fact that you basically discover all this following a sequence through a fun house where you take a mascot with squeaky shoes uh, oh, no. through a death trap, but nevertheless, that's the reality <laughs> we live in here. Um, that's, that's what we, you know, that, that was Max Payne too. That was the good and the bad. Um, <laughs> I think it was all, all the good, but Max Payne three, they definitely did start to feel like, Oh, this has got to be gritty and grounded. Yeah. Uh, and nothing grittier and more, gra- nothing more gritty and grounded, uh, than having Max just again, level, uh, favelas to the ground and most of the people inside them. Oh boy. Um, now, admittedly, at the end, the the true villain is revealed to be uh, the sort of Brazilian industrial magnates behind it. Like, you know, basically, like by the end of that, uh, you have to kill half the Bolsonaro family. And, okay. you know, I think that part of it's probably aged better. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's, you know. By, by the end of it, you're like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. Here, here are the real villains. But yeah, nevertheless, um, kind of a, a, a gross game in, in, in ways, too. But damn, that airport shootout. Good sound. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Beautiful game, too. Uh, so yeah. The small thing about save stuff is that I can't remember what game did this, but I wish more games did it. Um, 
is you would hit start and it would tell you the last time it auto-saved. Like, it would just, like, let you know. Mm, like, yeah. you would pause and it would say, like, hey, just for your information. Because, like, Control, this uh, annoys me, where um, Control does have, like, a tiny little swirl in the corner letting you know that, like, it's saved. But, uh, and you can do a hard save. But it's, like, it's a game that's, like, saving constantly where, like, you don't have, you know, like most games these days, you just don't have to think about it. Like, the game is just handling it for you unless you deliberately want to do some sort of hard save um, for a particular reason. And so it's like, at the point that you're conditioned to just accept that, uh, so when you quit control, it says like, hey, by the way, you're going to lose any progress from your last checkpoint. And you're like, cool. When was that? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. And like, games are obviously tracking that. I just wish more games would surface what that is. It's just like, when you give me that warning, let me know it was three seconds ago. Because then it's no big deal. Then <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fine, like, I didn't do it doing the last thirty yeah. in the last three seconds. But if it says like it was three minutes ago, it's like, oh, well, I just spec'd a bunch of stuff. I just did a bunch of upgrades. I'll go run back to the, you know, node of power or whatever and like force it to do an autosave and then um I'll move on. So that's just like one of my I love I can't remember what game did that, but I remember it being one of those things that I wished everything would rip off. I think Knights and Bikes actually does do that. That's Believe good. Nice. Words, yeah. Please. It's a good, good quality of life feature. Yeah. Cool feature. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think as people have gotten conditioned to just expect the game is going to save their progress and not screw them like that, I think they've started just designing hard saves out of it because people are not using them and you can control the experience via the save. But I do think there is also an element of uh, the way a lot of these games seem to work now, like you're never fully out of because you're always online and always connected. You're never fully out of the marketplace they built around the game. And so I think there is an element of what does saving a state, what does saving a session mean in the context of you are playing a game, but you are also at any moment uh, supposed to be able to feed money into it and get some sort of cosmetics or virtual currency. Um, Patrick, what did what did you think of that uh, of that of that my team trailer? Because I thought it was I thought it was hilarious in in its brazenness. Talk about like look at all I these surprise a question of, mechanics. So many. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It wasn't so much read the room. It was like yeah, I did read the room. Exa- yeah, um, it, yeah. I walked into the room with two middle fingers and said, "Come at me, bro." <laughs> uh, I don't. You know, uh, I I have a certain respect on some level for the audacity of it which is like i guess there's like a couple of ways you could approach if from if from high you know high high down is like hey you need to put gambling mechanics you know loot box mechanics into your game because that is a primary source of revenue for the company which is true for 2k that is true for take two that is true for you know GTA, Red Dead, like those are huge components of like what service revenue that they make long after the game single player campaign is over. If you're given that edict, it's like, okay, mm, you can try and be like other games, like try and hide it, or you can make a <laughs> casino and play pachinko. Like, uh, I think it's all bad. Like, I think it should be legislated out. I think it should should not be a part of video games. But on some level, I guess I have a modicum of respect for someone just being like, let's just be brazen about it. Let's just, <laughs> we're not hiding behind anything. This is what it is. And, you know, have, enjoy. They got way more attention by doing it that way than just another game with loot boxes, I guess, if you want to be like cynical from another direction. It's like, 
how do we, you know, in a, in a world of noise, how do we get any attention? It's like, okay, well, just be the well, one that punches everyone in the nose as they're trying to advocate for legis- legislation. So I've never touched or really understood what these uh, modes are. What exactly do you get? I, there were basketball players, but does that, how does that translate into the actual game? Because there was like a little bit of basketball in there. <laughs> well, is, so, is, this, is this the same as Ultimate Team and FIFA? Yeah, stuff? basically. Yeah, so 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 basically, uh, this all stems from the Ultimate Team stuff that I think EA rolled out. Like I think EA were the first ones to start doing this, and I'm not necessarily even sure it was cynical because I can remember. Uh, I want to say Bill Abner over at Game Shark when NHL first started rolling out Ultimate NHL Team. I want to say Bill Abner, who was not like some naive uh, when it came to came, came to games and trends within them. Uh, I want to say he was like, "Fuck yes, this this mode rules," because the thing that like the ultimate team mode uh, was about was if you played the mainline game, you could play historical teams or whatever, but what you couldn't necessarily do was like have. You're the dream teams, the ultimate team that you would sort of have if you're sitting around shooting the shit with your buddies and being like, wouldn't it have been cool if these two players from completely different eras played on the same team? That's kind of what ultimate team initial that was its initial pitch mm. was here was this mode where you could go collect um, elite players from all through the ages, create your ultimate team take it online and play uh, sort of a stripped down multiplayer mode of it. And then increasingly became the main focus of all sports games because mm-hmm. it was a readily monetizable feature uh, and they take different approaches. But for the most part, the thing that is consistent within them is uh, you get like, like in that, in, in that trailer that 2k put out there uh, you spin the wheel and it's like, Holy shit, I got Isaiah Thomas <laughs> and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of the experience of playing Ultimate Team. Like, who knows what uh, era-defining superstar could be about to tumble out of that thing. And it's a weird thing, because I'm not necessarily... It is a little bit cynical, but at the same time, I don't think people are... That was a hokey trailer. But I do think people like this shit. And so that that is the other part of this, is to to a degree... Uh, I, I think there's a point where issue like game designers tune for stickiness a lot of times. And I think that that sometimes raises ethical concerns inherently uh, how real money can sort of wind its way through the system and be turned into various forms of virtual currency also matters. But fundamentally, a lot of these things and some point it's out to me on Twitter. Fundamentally, a lot of these things come as you play the game. It is a thing that, primarily happens uh, as a reward for playing more of NBA 2K. Same as doing your dailies uh, in Destiny, Mm. uh, you know, gives you special shit. Like, it's just there to make the experience of returning to the game a little more fun for super fans. Uh, And so to an extent, like, I think that trailer does fit in the discourse uh, really strangely, and it sort of wallows in the most abusive exploitative systems that uh, people are using to design games now. But at the same time, there's a lot of folks who I think would not regard themselves as victims in any way of NBA 2K uh, who would instead be like, 
Fuck, dude, I love basketball pachinko. It's fun. It's uh, it's it's wild hearing you describe this because immediately it's just like, oh, it's it's magic, but they're basketball players instead of cards. Like it's that sort of like like you know, uh, yeah, magic shit, arena. That's actually really good. Like you get packs. Yeah. You open up the cards that you want. You take your team of the the deck that you build from those cards into online competitive play, uh, and. It's it's weird because like that seems fine to me, but this feels more egregious for some reason. And I'm having trouble pinning down exactly what the difference is. Apart from like the 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 presentation of the slot machines and all that, that that's its own separate thing. But just like on the baseline structure of what the game is, um, it 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 is it, it like it an aspect? Oh, sorry. Oh well, I was just gonna say it has it has these these uh, this very like to me it was just immediately like oh like these two things are basically the same you're 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 paying either here's the thing there's the question so you can earn that currency in game without having to pay into it but it's mm-hmm. probably tuned to be a little bit better if you can't pay into it if you want to get what you want you want to get better pa- you know like right. yeah it's like all, it's it's just like any of these things yeah. that have uh, free to play sort of like hooks into them right. It's definitely it's definitely interesting because I, uh, I've played Magic for a while now, and it's just like that's just it's such a weird thing to think of that that the what crossed over here into these other games is the kind of uh, the thing that keeps people coming back to buy more packs of Magic is needing that one that one card that they're really looking for, right? Like the the inability to mm-hmm. specifically buy that thing, and like it's just like. In magic, open that loot box. Yeah, it's card it, it, that's what it is. It's a, it's it, it well, is it's the that, business, the like, it's weird. Like the look at artifact, right? Like right. artifact was just uh, Valve saying we're gonna make a, you know a, our own card game and we're, it's gonna be like magic. You you buy you know you buy your cards. Like this is this is the deal. Like you buy a you know an installment deck or whatever, and then right. you're gonna buy stuff on top of that. It, all it did was sort of expose like that actually people have like problems with that model unless it is attached to the thing they've already accepted it for. Right. Which is like magic. Which is like magic. Like Magic Arena currently doing that exact same thing. Because uh, w- that's just how magic is. Yeah, that's just how it always, like that's how, because it came from this physical thing, right? Like like people used to go into and buy a physical car and like that, you're making an exchange for uh, an object that then also can, due to there being a secondary market, be turned around as an investment down the years if it's, a rare enough card. Mm-hmm. It's like this weird thing where like I play more physical magic because I can flip them and keep playing physical magic. I don't play as much right. arena because the free modes are like okay, and I can't but I can't get interesting cards and the paid modes cost just as much as the physical ones. So I'm just going to go to a store and do that instead. Uh, huh. You're not going to do that with NBA, by the way. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Danielle, like, you, had, you had something. I was just uh, curious if if maybe the ickiness factor uh, has to do with the transparency of like something like Magic. You you expect you're going to go and, and buy cards. You expect you're going to buy packs. Like I, I don't think anybody doesn't know what they're getting into when they play that, whereas this doesn't feel like it's on its face you know, as transparent about well, is it, it is. though? Because like magic hides it behind, like, oh no, the fun part is that you buy a pack and you don't get shit, and like <laughs> that sucks. Buy that another the fun one. Part? Like, <laughs> well, well, but, 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 but I mean, like, I wrote a piece uh, with an interview with a uh, someone on, uh, uh, on YouTube who one of their main hooks, like, they're one of those pop. They have like you know, um, 
like something like 200 something a thousand subscribers and uh you know decent enough to make a living doing this and their most popular videos was opening crates in Rocket League and uh, Psyonix bought the developers of Rocket League or uh, Epic bought the developers of, of Rocket League Psyonix and basically said like you're good like you can just take that shit out of the game and People don't have to pay for like they're still crates, but you don't have to pay for them. Like people just get the cosmetics randomly, and um, so then I reached out to him just to discussing like what is it like to like sort of see that stuff disappear from the game because that's kind of in your livelihood. Um, and he sort of hand waved that away and was like, "Look, I I can find something else to do and it'll be fine." Um, but it was also kind of like walking through like people like hundreds of thousands of people were watching him open stuff. They weren't getting anything out of that, but like there was like a seductive appeal. Hmm. To the opening. My daughter, this common amongst kids, one of the most popular videos to watch on YouTube is people opening stuff. Like there <laughs> is just a there is a psychology to there's a seductiveness to the opening of a thing and seeing what that thing is and being surprised by what that thing could be that like is a through line through all of this that runs through like a three-year-old that wants to watch another three-year-old open a toy to Mikado preferring physical magic. Well, you prefer that because you can sell the cards, but like to, to, to the appeal of magic, to yeah. you know, all to loot boxes. Like there is something about that mystery box um, that grabs people. Takes us back to the seductive pleasures of childhood and the <laughs> sting does. within them. It does, mm-hmm. like in Knights and Bikes. It does <laughs> all the way back. All right, uh, that I think will do it for this episode of Waypoint Radio. Uh, God, our outro section is such a mess. I do this every time. Every time, like <laughs> next time I I host this fucking thing, I'm gonna really fix the outro notes here because it it's just like Rob will uh, spend Rob will spend three minutes rewriting part of an ad, but. Just doesn't find the time to rewrite the outro for our podcast. Look, their copy was bad. I mean, I love our sponsors. Wow. I love our sponsors. Thank you. Um, I am proud to peddle your wares. But if you think that was a call to action, um, then CTA. You, yeah, CTA didn't you, you move the needle. Didn't move the you needle. You never truly heard the summons of the trumpet. Um, <laughs> And also there are typos I had to fix. Anyway, the <laughs> point is, oh, uh, that'll do it for Waypoint. This episode of Waypoint Radio, you can find us on Twitter at Waypoint. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Are we still Waypoint Vice? Yep. Hell yeah. And we're still Waypoint <laughs> Vice on YouTube, right? Yep. Can't change I'm sure those. videos are hitting that thing every day. No, wait, <laughs> actually. Keep up with the latest actually, Tactical Tuesday. No, no, no. Oh? Hold up. Oh? Straight up. If you're listening to this and for some reason have ever thought this... You know what? I would love to open this podcast on YouTube instead. We're doing that now. We are putting up Whoa. the entire podcast on uh, on YouTube. Uh, if you want to have it open while you're at work in the window, minimize listening that way for some reason. Like, that's the thing. I don't know. I don't understand it personally. I'm actually really confused why this I've is a thing that. that people do. I've done that. But, like, I always just pull my phone out. I'm bad like that. My phone is usually at zero so percent by the end of the work charge. Day. That's the thing. That's the thing. I end up with a dead phone <laughs> by the end. But so save yourself that. You can now also uh, listen just to the podcast. Just plug it in, Kata. You're surrounded by outlets and chart. You're like my wife. Where she is comes it? Home, she's like, gotta Where? put, gotta put my plug my phone. I was like, why? She's like, it's at 15%. Why? You work on a computer all day. You just don't find the time. You're not paying attention to it. And then all of a sudden, oh, look, 10%. When did that happen? 
Uh, oh but anyways, yeah, our podcasts are going to start going up on you on to that YouTube, uh, and you can listen to them there. Nice. Um, you can watch the little audiogram I made where the the waveform bounces around. It looks cool. It is nice. cool. <laughs> I like it a lot. I'm being nice. honest. I do like no, that it. is good. No, that's that's great. Also, I'm going to start putting up videos there where you can watch me opening podcasts <laughs> and just like making a face and being like, Patrick's take sucks. <laughs> and then like I write him uh, a quick tweet or an email and mm-hmm. be like, hey, man, I was listening to Waypoint episode number 52 and uh, I think you had a pretty garbage take. And uh, <laughs> then I open the next one. And you'll just watch me do that. Great. Uh, it'll, it'll, you'll do it'll it. You'll fun. send him a TikTok <laughs> for direct action. Yeah, Rob, yeah. Rob's critique. Rob, if you could actually go, yeah. If you could actually just go back and do reaction vids to um, all of our podcasts before you join the site, that <laughs> yeah. would be great. Honestly, perfect. Yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, I think I really forced everyone to, to step up their game. Uh, I definitely <laughs> also think that. If I went back and listened to all our pods, the ones I've been on, ones not, I think I would feel like we pretty much nailed everything and our takes were good. Great. Honestly, like most insightful, rarely wrong about predicting the future. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, like if, if you want, what does this other, feel you know, like anyone can sub-tweet. comment on the news of the day, <laughs> but I definitely feel like we have the foresight. Uh, we, we, we see what's what's coming next. Rob, your single uh, black anyway. coffee energy has never been stronger. Never. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, I hope I still have that energy. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you on Twitter? At Patrick Klubbick. Danielle. At Danielle or I. I'm Rusty Cotto. Where the. <laughs> At a a Rusty Cotto appears. No. Oh, no. No. God. Ugh. Ye no. old Rusty Cotto. Well, would you like a drink? Is, that sounds son? bad. Yeah, no. Welcome the to the Rusty Cotto. The, the Rusty Cotto is the name of my bar that I'm opening. <laughs> great. Great? No, I don't like it. You're going to have to pay me a it's lot. It's like of an old Navy. Royalties? Do you get royalties from bars named after you? I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> but I don't know. Just I, pay I, me money. Rusty Cotto would be a cold brew coffee mm-hmm. with a massive shot of Cointreau. Delicious. Mm. You know what? Actually, see, (laughs) this is that's why it's the the shot. It's kind of bad, but it's kind of good. You did the kombucha TikTok. I episodes about TikTok today. Let's do a round of rusty cottos. It's got caffeine. It's got booze. We're gonna make some bad decisions. Great. Rusty cotto is like a four loco (laughs) that the FDA can't shut down. Okay, well, Kyle, you got the name, the title of the episode. Yeah. You're good. You're welcome. God damn it. Did you give your Twitter handle? Sure, you At did. At A underscore uh, <laughs> underscore appears. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Rob Zachney. Our music is by Bowen. Uh, it's the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. You can learn more at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. And you can visit our forums at discourse.zone. That's all I know to say here at the end. Uh, so until then, Danielle, get me out of the cell. Be good and be good at it. Right on.
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Legit. Uh, All right. So weird. That, it is. I don't like it. I think like it's. <laughs> it's better than Instagram. It's fine. I like it's, it. When they float up on Twitter, I like. It's same way with Vine. Like I didn't watch. Like I didn't follow anyone on Vine. It was mostly eh. just like Twitter would just surface the best vines. And, I don't know like, what, that's what Vine made sense to me. Vine like the the gags worked. It was like long. It was like Vine was like a three panel comic format of mm. yeah. uh, video. And I was like, yeah, it's that like well because TikTok is inherently like what memetic. Like it's like it, the yeah. memes are the formats. <laughs> And so if you aren't familiar with the formats, then like the humor itself is all like already like there's, already there's lost. Still, there's, very, there's still a good oh, amount of Vine like humor on there too. But yeah, it's... I gotta I gotta find the one. There was one that just was killing me from uh, Was it the Rednecks? Uh was it the, the no, bull rider was that, being was, let out actually the, was... the stall? Well you both right? that's a real good one. I know that one, but it's not that there was one involving Darth's uh What's it's not Darth City? What's in, from Star Wars? Someone who's got like all like six. He holds like six lightsabers at once. It's not a uh, what's his fucking General name? Grievous. 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 Oh. It Have was... you seen the one with General Grievous? No. The, okay, I just, I'll find it. I will find it. I'll send it to all of you. <laughs> really I'll good. Scroll through my timeline. Good. It, great. It crushed me. Right, Some well, of them are actually good. So yeah. Patrick's gonna we'll hook see. us up with those uh, dank dad TikToks. <laughs> yeah. Dank so. dad. Great. TikTok. Yeah. Baby. All right. That was fun, y'all. Yeah. That was All right. very good. good. Pod, See ya. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> God damn. Oh. How folks been sleeping. <laughs> Wait, did you have a mattress read? <laughs> Danielle, I hear you haven't been sleeping well lately. Not very um, well. Didn't I'm get gonna, a fucking mattress. It's probably the temperature of your of your mattress, right? That's probably totally. what's been keeping you up. Um, stop it. Get out of here. <laughs> All right. My dog is asleep right here on my mattress. Can you? Yeah. Oh, he woke up. Okay. Time to go soil something. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. Should we time that is? Yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> what? I have to do that. Yeah, that's fine. You can do it, Kato. No, I'm bad at it. All right. Oh, clapping? Uh, yeah, huh? that's was yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. All right, we'll that's give true. you, you can't outsource lead. this. We'll give you a long lead up, Kato. 43. 50. No. What? 50. 50. Okay. 5-0. All right. <laughs> that was a suspicious delay on that clap that like it, it sounded just really lagged. far it's off. Probably it's, just lag. It, it's Kyle lag. probably got it right. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what, it. Rob? Rob, we already established this for different reasons up front. This is Kato's ship to manage, <laughs> and you just gotta aye aye, Kato, all aboard. And Kato if it's off, if it's off by three fourths of a second, you're not editing that timeline. <laughs> no. You're good, Rob. That's on you're me. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> all right.